0: What I'm going to share right now about the blood covenant, this is the key for understanding the nature of Scripture. Beautiful. Here we go. We're going to look at Genesis chapter 15 and read a most unusual passage. Genesis chapter 15, verse 7. And he said to him, that's he, God, said to him, Abram, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess it. Now, and he, Abram, watch what happened here, he said, O Lord God, how may I know that I shall possess it? Now, just three chapters before in Genesis 12, God brought him to a particular place. And he says, take a look at this. As far as you can see, that's going to be your land. That's Genesis 12. So 15, he says, uh, God, what about the land? You kind of make it a deal with me. And so what about this? We're going to sign the contract. God says, you are, we are right now. Now watch what he says. How may I know I possess it? Verse nine. So he said to him, bring me a three-year-old heifer. Now what's a heifer? A heifer is a cow, only a cow is called a cow after it has birth, had given birth. But this is uh, before it's given birth, it's called a heifer. Bring me a three-year-old heifer. I'm going to skip down to verse 10. Then he brought all these to him and cut them in two. Well, that's kind of a gory passage. We're cutting cows in two. What's going on here? Verse 11, uh, no, verse 12. Now, when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. Remember that phrase. That phrase is going to have jolting relevance to you when we get ready to land this plane three hours from now when I'm done. (laughs) (laughs) You laugh, you wait, you'll see. (laughs) A deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, a terror and great darkness fell upon him. And it came about when the sun had set that it was very dark, and behold, there appeared a smoking oven, what on earth is that? And a flaming torch, which passed between these pieces... This is a strange passage. So far, we've got a cow that's been cut up, and they've walked through the blood of it. And then we got a smoking oven and a flaming torch. This is, this is an odd verse. This is not a verse you would put on your refrigerator. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, on. Until we finish the sermon, and you will. Yeah, on. on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying to your descendants, I have given this land. And by the way, Abram's descendants to this day still Go in the Middle East, watch over what's going on. They still haven't figured out that God gave him this land. Nobody else can have it. Amen. Now, let's suppose that we're making covenant. In the ancient tribal chiefs, when they make they cut a cut, it's called cutting a covenant. There was always the shedding of blood, cutting a covenant. Ancient tribal chiefs would go through certain steps in the ancient world in which the Bible is written. Yes. And here's what they do. Let's suppose Pastor Jurgen and I were, were, were making a covenant. And for right now, I'm going I'm to drop the title, Pastor, uh, not out of lack of deference to him, but just for the purpose of the story. So, if Juergen and Jim are now making a covenant, we're before a crowd of witnesses in an open field, and the first thing we would do would be to exchange outer garments. We would exchange outer garments. I would give him mine. He would give me his. We would wear each other's. And the purpose for that is to confuse identities. So when someone came and they'd say, here comes Jurgen," Well, that's Jurgen's coat, but man, he's put on a lot of weight lately. <laughs> Stop it, Jim. That wasn't supposed to be funny. <laughs> and it confuses the identity. Hey, that—oh, that's Jim's coat, but boy, he's shaped up a lot. Yeah, it's a confusion of identities that's wow. taking place. That's the first step. The second step. Second step is the exchange of belts. When you exchange belts, you exchange strengths or assets. And so whatever I have belongs to Jürgen. whatever Jürgen has belongs to me. And so at that particular point, if he wants to borrow the lawnmower, he didn't knock on my door and ask for the lawnmower. It's simply his because we're covenant partners. He just gets the lawnmower because we have now shared everything, every, every strength. The third thing we would do would be the exchange of weapons. So all the swords and everything that hangs on the belt is now exchanged. All the military hardware is exchanged. That symbolizes an exchange of enemies. That means... If somebody comes after me, they're going to have to take on Jurgen first because he's going to defend me. That's the third step in the ancient covenant making ceremony. The tribal chiefs would participate. The fourth step would be the sacrificial animals cut. Now, this is Genesis 15. The sacrificial, the heifer was laid there on its backside, sliced down the underbelly of the animal, the parts folded out. And the next, in, in, a, in the covenant making ceremony, there's always the shedding of blood, there's always the loss of life. And so, Here we go with the next step, which is the walk of death. I would walk through the animal, walk around this side. I would come back through the animal. I would end up back over here where I was, completing a figure eight. He would walk through this animal the same way. And that walk of death symbolizes the loss of our identity, the death of self. Because we're now moving into a merged relationship, so everything's going to change after this. The next thing Jurgen and I would do would be the striking of hands. In the Hebrew culture, the hand includes the wrist. There would be a small incision <clears throat> on the wrist, and we would intermingle our blood with one another. In primitive culture, some primitive cultures still actually practice this, and it is said that they will rub an abrasive substance, something like gunpowder, into that to leave a darkened mark so the wound is evident. And we can't prove this next part. It's surmised, but we can't prove this, that possibly the origin of the wave. Why do we wave to people? The origin of the wave, so it would expose the covenant mark as a way of saying, better be careful what you do with me, because out there somewhere is another set of fists prepared to defend me. Don't mess with me. Now that's the next step. That was the striking of hands. Somewhere on the body, it wasn't always the wrist, but somewhere on the body, was a mark, an evidence that I was in covenant with this person, with, with Jürgen in this case. Seven, the pronouncement of bless, blessings and curses. We'd face each other, crowd of witnesses, open field, and I'd say, Jürgen, so long as you keep these, the terms of this covenant, blessed shall you be, when you go out, come in, blessed shall be your wife, blessed shall be your children, your offspring, and as a rural agrarian economy, so that language, blessed shall be your oxen, your donkeys, Blessed shall be your barley, your crops. And we would go through it. And then there'd be a pause. But if you violate the terms of this covenant, cursed shall you be when you rise up, when you lay down. And I'd go through his family and through, his, through all of his, everything that he owns. Then he would look at me and start through the same thing. Jim, so long as you keep the terms of this commandment, blessed shall you be. And then eventually he would walk through the curses or the consequences of violating the covenant. The next thing would be the covenant meal. Juergen and I, as tribal chiefs, ancient culture, would sit in front of you as a crowd of witnesses. We would come together for the covenant meal. And the covenant meal, I would feed him the first bite. He would feed me the first bite as a symbolism of our ingesting our further oneness. By the way, that's the origin of the bride and the groom at a wedding reception. That's a covenant meal. They're, they, they, they weren't supposed to do that, so they smear cake over each other's faces for good sake. <laughs> That is done as a statement of their oneness with each other. The next thing would be the exchange of names. I would look at Jürgen. I said, from this point on, jurgen I'm going to take a part of your name into mine. My name will be Jim Mattesius Garlow. And he would say, from this point on, my name will be Jürgen Garlow Mattesius. That way, every time anybody pronounces either of our names, they're pronouncing who our covenant partner is. Abram? Abram went through a covenant-making ceremony. His name got changed. What did it get changed to? Abraham. Yeah. Where did the A H come from? Yeah. In the ancient Hebrew, there are no vowels. Right. There are only consequence, consonants. So his consonant was an H. Yeah. In the Hebrew letter, there's there's kind of one harsh one and one softer one. In Hebrew, the equivalent to our H, one is, kh, and the other is kh, softer. Yeah. It's the softer one. Yeah. It's, when God shows up. How does he show up? Well, sometimes in fire, sometimes clouds, sometimes, sometimes wind. In, in the Hebrew, the word is ruach, the the breath of God, the ruach of God. He breathed into humanity, the the breath, and man became a living being in that moment. If we go to the New Testament, the word there is pneuma. In the we say Holy Spirit, Holy Ghost. We don't we don't know how to translate pneuma. We call it spirit or or some people ghost or it, it's really a holy wind. It's the, it's the holy wow. when it comes through. Wow. And, and so, somebody comes to Abram. Abram, I hear you made a covenant. You, you have a new covenant partner. What's, what's your name now? My name is Abraham. Wow. Oh, you made covenant with him? Yeah. Wow. And from that point on, God was called the God of Abraham. Wow. Even the friend of Abraham in the exchange of names. Now, the 10th step is the most jolting. It's the most amazing. It's stunning. We'll get to that one a little bit later. I'm going to skip that for right now. It is so good, but you won't hear about it now, a little bit later. Did I tell you it was the best one? But we'll get to it later. Okay, Genesis 15. I'm going to take you back to Genesis 15. What did we say a moment ago? We read this strange passage about them getting out in an open field and cutting a heifer in two and then walking between its parts. That makes no sense unless you understand covenant. And there are hundreds of verses like that. Let's take, for example, Genesis 17. He says, "Abram, I want you to be circumcised. Circumcised? Why? That's that's covenant language. A mark on the body. Why a piece of skin from the male reproductive organ? Why? Well, let me ask you this. In that culture, what was the most horrible thing that could befall a woman? Answer? Barrenness. What was the greatest thing that could happen to a husband and wife? Fruitfulness in producing children. That was the best. Children were seen as a blessing then, and they ought to be seen as a blessing now. <clears throat> Alex, I believe you just, had, you just had a baby girl, right? May you have 11 more. <laughs> I, I see panic. I see panic. <laughs> what was the most priceless thing you could have? By the way, we, we, we see, hear about population control. We don't have too many people on the earth. They're distributed wrongly and following wrong principles. Let, let me tell you, God established the principles. He, God established government. God establishes nations. To the extent that people will follow the word of God in the governance of a nation, to that extent, a poverty, a pain, and suffering will decrease. Wow. Right. To the extent every nation will follow actual biblical principles of governance, yeah. to that extent, That nation will flourish. Poverty will be reduced vastly. Uh, Having said that, the children were a great blessing. So that's the most wonderful blessing you could have. And so God says, Abram, on that part of your body that's involved procreationally, since children are the most priceless possession you have, I want you to put a mark there as a permanent reminder that everything you have, even your kids, even your son Isaac, belongs to me. Now, deposit that truth, that's going to crop up in just a few moments. Let's go to another passage. Deuteronomy 28 says, Blessed shall you be when you rise up, blessed shall you be when you lay down. Have you ever heard that language before? Yes. Yep. it of blessings and curses. Well, twice in Deuteronomy and once in Joshua, they give, in, they give directions. What's going to happen in Joshua? And what happens? The children of Israel are getting ready to finally come in to the promised land. It was promised to them a long time before, but now they've been wandering for 40 years. And by the way, when they came in... Strange passage. He required them as they came near Jericho. Required all the males to be circumcised. Again. Why? The mark of the covenant. If you're going to get in this land, you're going to come in with my mark as a permanent oh, reminder wow. on you. Why would it? When my my wife, she's made seven, Rosemary stand. I want to make sure everybody knows who you are. You. <laughs> she's made seventy one trips to Israel, wow. and if you're a college kid, and would like to get to Israel for a fraction of the normal cost. See here, once this whole COVID thing's in, she could, she, could, she could help you on that. But we go, we take people we off-road with the bus, and we take people to places that they wouldn't ordinarily ever get to go. And one of those is where the Valley of the Circumcision is called. Well, right north of there, they crossed the Jordan River. Now, you read this in Joshua. As they crossed, they did a strange thing. There's Mount Gerizim, the Mount of Blessings. Mount Ebal, the Mount of Curses and they walked between the parts. Does that sound like something you've heard? And they put a bunch of priests on this mountain, a bunch of priests on this mountain. From, from Mount Gerizim, they're saying, Blessed shall you be, so long as you keep his commandments. That's what they're hearing is they're walking between the parts. This is a covenant-making ceremony. It's a weird story, unless you understand covenant. And from Mount Ebal, the Mount of Curses, from there they were saying, Cursed shall you be, if you disobey the word of the Lord. By the way, on the Mount of Ebal, this little side note. In 1980s and 1990s, they just discovered, after 3,400 years, just discovered the altar of Joshua that was built for that occasion. It, you can't hardly get in there. Rosemary takes us in because we get Israeli Defense Forces to escort us it in. It's not, otherwise, that particular place is not necessarily all that safe. But it is what the Israeli Defense Forces, any place is safe with them. But that's, that, when you read about that, the Mount Gerizim, Mount of Blessings, Mount of Ebal, Mount of Curses, they walk between the parts, that is all a covenant-making ceremony of the pronouncement of blessings and, and curses. Without an understanding of that, there's all those verses that make no sense. Or take Jeremiah 34, it says the rulers in Judah cut the animal in two and walk between his part. Makes no sense, unless we understand covenant, but it makes a lot of sense once you know the steps of the ancient covenant-making ceremony. Now watch this one, 1 Samuel chapter 18, David versus Goliath. The armies are out there facing Goliath. He stands 10 foot tall. He's intimidated them. For days, he's mocked him, made fun of him. And Saul, well, he's the ruler, and he's the head of the army, they're terrified. David, the little, little boy, comes out, the little shepherd boy comes out and says, what seems to be the problem here? He says, well, look for yourself, look at that guy. David makes a strange comment. He says, Why are we afraid of him? This is a little kid, a little shepherd boy. And then David, taught, David says these following things. Twice he says it Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he would stand against the army of the living God? Woo! Now, since when is it appropriate to discuss such private parts in public like that? It isn't, unless you understand covenant. David says, We're in covenant with Almighty God, we bear on our bodies the very mark of that. God is with us. He says, who is he? And the second time when David says, I'm going to go get him, Saul says, oh, you can't possibly. Yes, I am. He says, you know what I do? A typical day down on the farm for me, a bear comes, I kill him. A lion comes, I kill him. I take care of it. And based upon that, who is, he says that a second time, who is this uncircumcised Philistine he would stand against me? Part of the army of the living God. Come Now, now, now that, that, that whole passage makes no sense unless you understand the, uncircumcised, the circumcision is a mark on the body of being one with Almighty God in the Old Covenant. Now, let's go to 1 Samuel 18. 1 Samuel 18, Saul is the king. Jonathan is his son. David has just killed Goliath. David is now immensely popular. And so Saul, a little jealous, invites David to come into his home. Jonathan and Saul make a covenant. Let me read the language. This is 1 Samuel 18, verse 3. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. And Jonathan's... Now watch this. See if you recognize something. Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David. Doesn't make any sense unless you understand covenant. With his armor... Here comes step two. Including his sword and his bow. Here's the next one. And his belt. Three stages of the covenant-making ceremony right there. And unless we understand it, passage makes no sense. The reason I pause here for a moment is the homosexual community, has come along with this text and turned it into a homosexual arrangement. How yeah. offensive that they would be so incredibly ignorant of the most rich construct of the covenant-making ceremony, right. they would turn it into... Okay, we go to Second Samuel chapter 4. Now, now on this one, <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, you're exactly right. Okay, now, watch this. Here's Saul, the king. Here's his son, Jonathan. Here's his son, Mephibosheth. Saul, Jonathan, Mephibosheth. Now, when Saul is killed in war and Jonathan, when they die in war, the person taking care of Mephibosheth, who's age five, says, "Oh my goodness, got to get him out of here because I know they'll come after him next. That's what they do in these kind of battles, try to get the king's lineage killed yeah. so they won't lead an insurrection." And so she grabs him and as she goes. She falls, and as she falls, she harms him, and he's lame in his feet from that point on. Now I'm going to take you to Second Samuel. Watch what happens. Second Samuel chapter nine. Saul is dead. Jonathan is dead. Mephibosheth is somewhere, but he's lame in his feet. David is now king. I want you to see what happens. I picture, I'm going to take a little poetic license on this, and so bear with me. This is a loose, rough paraphrase. But David, here he is, he's washing his hands. He's washing his hands, and he sees, wow, there's that covenant mark I made with Jonathan. Boy, I miss him, my covenant partner. How long has he been gone? 20? Is it more than 20 years? 25? Wow. You know what? The covenant is multigenerational. generational So if there's any offspring of Jonathan around, this would apply to them. Uh, Hey, hey, Ziba, his servant. Ziba, are are there any offspring left of Jonathan? There are? Really? What's his name? Mephibosheth? Ooh, what kind of a name is that? Oh, wow. where does he live? Lodabar? Oh, who'd want to live in Lodabar? That's like Yuma. Who would want to be there? (laughs) So he's, he's in Lodabar? That's terrible. Ziba, I got an idea. He doesn't know that the covenant mark applies multi-generationally, that everything I have in the palace belongs to him. He doesn't know that. He's living in that God-forsaken place. Ziba, go get him so he can enjoy the blessings. Now, we're down in Lodabar. Knock on the door. Who's there? Ziba. Uh, Ziba who? Oh, you're sent from King David. No, 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 please, please look. leave me alone. I can't even walk. I can't do any harm. I know what you're thinking. You're coming down to kill me because because you think since I'm a part of the lineage of Saul that I would try to lead some kind of an insurrection and take back control of the kingdom. Look, I can't even walk, and I'm down here hiding in this place. I've been down here. I've never bothered you. Just leave me alone. Please don't take me back to David, please. I know he's going to kill me. Now, scene changes. David said, oh, here they come. Here they come. Here comes Ziba. Oh, Mephibosheth can't walk hardly. Wow, that's too bad. He gets closer. Hey, Ziba, thanks for bringing him. Hey, Mephibosheth, Ziba, why would he fall down? Why is he, he face down like that? Mephibosheth, what are you saying? You you think I'm going to kill? Why are you saying you're a dead dog? That's what he actually says in the text. Well, I'm just I'm just an old dead dog. Why would you say that, Mephibosheth, Ziba? What is this? Oh, he thinks I'm gonna. Oh no, 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 no. Mephibosheth, look up. Mephibosheth. Myth, get a grip. Look at me. Now look at me. Now look look right here. What, What is that? You know what that is? Sure you do. That's a covenant mark. You know who I made that with? Your daddy. You know what that means? It means that everything you see here, this whole banquet table is for you. It means everything I have belongs to you. You don't have to live in Lodabar anymore. Now, actual historical event took place. Let me make a spiritual application. Fasten your seatbelts for this one. In the story, David is Jesus. In the story, Ziba is the Holy Spirit coming after you. You are Mephibosheth. You're walking around. Like you just can't make it anymore. And you know where you're doing? And it means, means contender with Baal, or it means a despised one. That's not where God intended you to reside. And, and you know what, lo-debar? Lo-debar. In the Hebrew, lo-debar. Lo-debar means the place of no word. The place, No word. No understanding of the covenant you're living below the covenant you don't understand who this is and jesus says to you mephibosheth and to me he says look look i've got a covenant mark right here you know when the crucifixion took place the nail didn't go through the palm it with the body would have fallen It went in the hebrew word yod wrist and hand are all the same the nail went through right here there's a covenant mark jesus says do you not realize what that means for you, the blessings that get released for you? You don't have to live in Lodabar anymore. That's God forsaken. Now, that, I've just been covering the steps in the old covenant. Now, we're going to the new covenant. I'm, I'm talking as fast as I can. If you'd listen faster, I'd be done by now. Let's go. Here we go. Hebrews 7. Here we go. Hebrews 7. New, new covenant now. New covenant. Hebrews said, This is a better covenant. Whoa, really? The old one wasn't too shabby. Hebrews 8, it's a better covenant. says it again. Hebrews 10, it says why it's a better covenant. Now, let me stand right here, and I'm going to put my hand out like this. There's a spotlight right there, and I can see on the floor a shadow of my hand. If you did not know what a hand was but could see the shadow of my hand, you would know a lot about that hand, an awful lot. But that's only two-dimensional. That's the shadow. But if you could see the actual hand you'd see three-dimensional in flesh, incarnate, carne meat, the infleshment, And so the new covenant, we're going from a shadow to the infleshment when God took up on human flesh and Jesus shows up on the scene. That's what makes it a better covenant. So guess what happened? When Jesus and I entered the covenant, get this, we went to an open field and a crowd of witnesses, figuratively speaking, and Jesus said, I'll swap your robes, my outer garment, Jesus, You'll swap me this for yours? Yeah. But Jesus, mine is a robe of sinfulness. He says, I know, I can see. But yours is a robe of righteousness. He says, I know. I'll swap you. And we swapped. And I got wrapped in the righteousness of Christ. And when the Father looks at me, he sees the righteousness of Christ. And when the, father, when the father looked at his son, he saw a robe of sinfulness, and I'm told he paid a high price for me for that. And then we exchange belts. What's the exchange of belts? The exchange of belts is the exchange of strengths. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 12, the strangest phrase. Paul was brilliantly trained. He was articulate. And then he makes this statement, when I'm weak, I'm strong. Paul, that's irrational. You're weak, you're weak. Unless you understand covenant and you exchange strengths and the strength of Christ comes upon me, that's why you walk in the victory of Christ, the strength of Christ flows in you and you do what you otherwise cannot do. And my weakness went into Jesus and it tells me in Isaiah that when he got led into the moment of crucifixion, he went like a lamb, a sheep to slaughter. That cost him so dearly, that exchange. And then on top of that, we exchange weapons. Now, let me ask you this question. What is our our, our, our number one enemy? Because when you exchange weapons, you exchange enemies. What is your number one enemy? What's our number one enemy as humans? One thing, death. Pure and simple. What's his number one enemy? Satan. Satan. All the way back in Genesis 3.15, you can't even get through the third chapter of the book without finding out that Jesus and Satan are in a war. It's intense. It's like this. That's his enemy. And so we exchange enemies. Jesus, at the point of resurrection, took on our greatest enemy, death, and he snapped it whole. That's why you walk with victory, knowing eternal, eternal life is with him. And then when Jesus says we exchange enemies, We take on Satan. Now, nowhere in the Bible does he says, hey, if Satan shows up and starts hassling you, will you call me on your cell phone I'll try to get there within 15 minutes? (laughs) Nowhere does it say that. It says when Satan messes with you, you put a stop to him. You resist him. You declare he has no right to be here and get rid of him. Now, why do we do that? Because there was an exchange of weapons. Let me read to you Ephesians 6. You have probably read Ephesians 6 if you've been in the church very long a dozen times or a hundred times. Now, let me read it to you. Ephesians 6, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of your might. Oh, doesn't say that, does it? The strength of somebody else's might. Whose might? His, because we exchange. Put on all of your armor. No. Put on the full armor of God. That's the exchange of weaponry. That whole passage is covenantal language. It's one of the steps of the covenant-making ceremony. You may ask, well, why doesn't the Bible explain what I'm explaining right now? It didn't need to because it was written in a culture where they understood the steps of the covenant-making ceremony. It's just us in the Western world that don't seem to get this. So, we, I, what's truth? Jesus is truth. He says, okay, gird yourself with truth. Then he says, you take righteousness. Who is righteous? He is. Put right these are his weapons. Righteousness on here. And then we have peace on your feet. And then the shield of faith to stop those darts. And then the helmet of salvation. What's the word salvation mean? Wholeness complete. Over your mind. Renew your mind with the mind of Christ. And then the sword of the Spirit. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. Now, step number four the sacrificial animal is cut. In the sacrificial, and in the, in the, in the, Edmund Lewis Cole says it this way, even in the marriage covenant, hear me carefully, in the marriage covenant, on the marriage bed, marriage bed, that as the breaking of the hymen, the blood flows over the male parts, that's actually an act of the covenant-making ceremony itself. There's always the shedding of blood in the act of a covenant making ceremony. And when we came to the sacrificial animal, Jesus was a sacrificial animal and gave his life in that moment. And now we look for a a perfect lamb, and now we found the perfect lamb of God that was sacrificed. And then the walk of death. What's the walk of death? Luke chapter 17. You want to gain your life? Lose it. When we walk into a relationship with Jesus, Jim has to die. It's the walk of it. My individual identity has to be from this point wrapped up totally in his. The next one, the covenant mark on the body. What about the covenant mark on the body? In the Old Testament, it was circumcision. In the New Covenant, Paul redefines circumcision as not merely a mark on the body. Romans 2 says circumcision is the circumcision of the heart. The cutting away of fleshly desires from the heart. You don't just get saved, get with Jesus, and go out and do the same garbage. You cut away the flesh in that moment and start walking away from the sin that used to so easily beset you. And then number seven, the blessings and curses. Now watch this one. Jesus and I out in the open field before a crowd of witnesses, the pronouncement of blessings, once I come into Jesus with covenant with him, the blessings are released. But there's no curse pronounced on me. Why not? Why did that not transfer over? The answer is in Galatians 3.13. Watch this. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. I can't honestly, I do not know how to theologically explain. I understood that he took the curse, but he became a curse. Paul writes in Corinthians, he didn't just take my sin, he became sin on my behalf. I can't, I can't grasp that fully. When I get to heaven, I'll understand it better then. But here's what I want you to see. What happened to that curse? How come I they don't pronounce curses on me in the New Covenant? Why'd that all end? Let me tell you. I'm going to take you back to Genesis 15. Here's, here's where this passage is going to make a lot of sense. Remember what happened? Abram says, "Hey God, how am I going to know I'm going to have the land?" He says, "Go get a heifer and cut it in two." Abram didn't say, "Well, that's kind of a dumb idea. Can't we just sign the contract?" Because he knew this was the signing of the contract. So get the heifer, cut it in two. We're going to walk between the parts. We do. They get ready for it. They get ready for it. You're, I'm going to use you for an illustration. And you're going to Leon. You've been married how many years? 29. 29. Okay, let's suppose that on your wedding day, you fell asleep and missed the wedding. That would have been bad news for you. It would have been very bad. That would have been curtains. You would not have done that. Here's Abraham at the most important moment of his life, making covenant with God, and he fell asleep. Remember the passage? It says a deep sleep fell upon him. How did he mess it, Abram? What were you thinking? He didn't think at all, because God anesthetized him. God knocked him out. A deep sleep, suddenly, this exhilarating moment, he's in, clunk, he's out. Why did God do that to him? Because if Abram would have been awake and have walked between the parts after God and violated one tiny piece of the covenant, It'd been toast. It'd be over for him. And God wanted to protect him. And since we are embryonically present as the descendants of Abram in that event, God is protecting you at that point. Now, now listen. And so what he, he says, it's time, to, it's time to walk between the parts. Abram says, okay. Oh, he's sound asleep. And so it says in the text, here came a smoking fire pot walking. What's the smoking fire pot? What's that? Well, every time God shows up, he'll show up with a cloud or smoke or fire or something. And here he comes as fire coming between that part. And then who comes next? A flaming torch. Who's that? The second member of the Trinity. Jesus always was, before Bethlehem, he always was the second member of the Trinity, one of the rules of the covenant-making ceremony is you can designate a representative in your behalf. And God decided to do that. I like this guy. I'm going to preach over here. A more action here. Whoa. Whoa. You can designate a representative, and God says, I'm going to designate a representative for you, Abraham. You're dead asleep, because if you go through that, you're over. It's toast for you. And so, Jesus walks between it, representing you and me, Abraham's descendants, and he paid the price for it. That's what sent him to the cross. That little verse about a heifer cut in two and Abram falling asleep and a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch may likely be the best verse in the entire Bible. It has implications for every one of you. It's stunning. It's just stunning. Then the covenant meal. The covenant meal? That's what you participated in a little bit ago. And Paul says, he writes in 1 Corinthians, he says, hey, don't take that flippantly. Oh, it's time for the communion. Okay, we've got a little bread, got a little cup. Okay, we're, we're done with that. No, 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 no. He says, don't you dare do that. Judge yourself carefully. Examine. Let a man, a woman, examine themselves very carefully. This is the covenant meal. Don't mess with the covenant meal. He says, church in Corinth, you know what he said? You guys have become flippant about the covenant meal. That's why some of you are sick. Some of you in your church have died, he said, because they were flippant about the covenant meal. There's way too little reverence and awe of God today. Number nine, exchange of names. From that time on, when Jesus and I made covenant, I took upon his name, he took upon mine. He took upon my name. How did that? He could be called the Son of God, and he was on occasion. He took upon himself the Son of God. Man, humanity. He took my name on himself to identify with me, humanity, you. And from that point on, I've been called Christian. The I-A-N ending is a suffix ending, meaning one who is of somebody else, one who is of Christ, Christian. I took upon his name at that point. And and you know what what we do? Just think of every time you pray, you finish the prayer, in the name of Jesus I pray. I've never prayed a prayer and said, in Jim's name I pray, amen. (laughs) wouldn't go anywhere. I'm, why am I using somebody else? I have no authority to use somebody else's name unless the covenant making ceremony. Every time you're praying, you're using the covenant making ceremony in Jesus' name. By His authority, you're praying. Oh man, I got the last one here. We got to go. This is gonna, I'm going to land this plane here. Okay, we're over time, but I'm not going to look at the clock at all. Here we go. The last one. It, it, the last step in the covenant making ceremony. If you're good and I were in an open field, before a crowd of witnesses, everybody would be saying, are they going to test or prove the covenant? Because that's where you find out if it's for real. And at that point, we're going to see what's going to happen. You'd be gasping to wait. Because the final step of the covenant-making ceremony is the exchange of the oldest male child. And so here we sit. I'm here. He's there. I take hold of Joshua's hand. He takes hold of Jordan's hand. And we start walking towards each other and we get here and I say Joshua you've been my son I love you my son but I'm making covenant with Yurkin I'm placing your hand in his he will be your son and go to your home from this point on and Jurgen says Jordan I love you you mean everything to me but I just cut a covenant with Jim and the proof or the testing of the covenant is whether we're willing to exchange oldest male child and I'm giving you my hand, your hand, into Jim's, and you're going with him to his home from this point on. Now, watch what happens in Genesis 22. You're not going to believe this. God says, Abraham, Genesis 22, it's time to prove or test the covenant. Your boy. Your boy. Abram didn't go, my boy? Sacrifice my boy to you? He didn't do that because he understood covenant. He understood the nature of covenant. He says, Okay. It's that time. And so the time comes for him to sacrifice. He gets there. And Hebrews 11, catch this, puts us into the mind of Abraham. Genesis 22 is a historical event. Hebrews 11 tells us what Abraham was thinking. And here's what Abraham was thinking according to Hebrews 11. God is so incredible that he he promised me this this son, and all the promises are going to happen through Isaac, So if I sacrifice his life to God, God's going to have to raise him from the dead because all the stuff's going to have to happen through him as a live person. Now, let me ask you, when had Abraham ever seen a resurrection? The answer, never. Not recorded. No such thing. But he was so confident in God that he thought God could do something that no person had ever seen, (laughs) including him. So he raises the knife. And, and, and in his mind, Hebrews 11 says, it's as if he had already sacrificed him. So God says, Abram, stop, 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 Abram. Let's, since you've already sacrificed him in your heart, and you know that I've got to raise him from the dead, let's save us both a lot of time. Just, just, just stop it right now, because you've done it. You know, watch, watch this. When God came to command, Abram, Genesis 22, go sacrifice your boy. Let's make the covenant prove or test it. He walks. Now, catch this. He's walking towards Mount Moriah. What's going to happen? It says when he had walked three days, he got there. Three days. Did you get that? Three days. Isaac was dead for three days. Catch that, anybody? And when the father saw his son, he was in the tomb for three days. Isaac, we don't know how old he was. Some people a little boy? No, I don't think so. Some people think he was 33. Interesting if he was. He's hauling the wood. Hebrew wood and tree are the same word. He's hauling the wood or the tree up the hill. Years later, Jesus was hauling the wood or the tree up the hill. And Genesis 22, Genesis 22, here's what he says. Abram, you know what you've done? Oh, what did I do? He says, because you have done this thing, what? What thing? Because you sacrificed your son. Because you've been willing to sacrifice your son, I can now sacrifice my son. And the covenant is now rock solid. It's been tested or proved. And every descendant of Abraham, that's you, enjoys the reality of this covenant. Every one of you. What does that mean? It means, let me, let me land the plane with this. A Practical application for when you're praying. You can pray looking at God going, God, oh man, God, help, help God. That's okay. I don't condemn anybody. I've prayed many times in my life. God, help me, help me. This is awful. There's nothing wrong with that. Lord, this is really hard. That's okay. No condemnation. It's just not the most effective way to pray. There's a better way. The better way is to Instead of crying out for God, you God, you don't realize I'm married to this man? He is such a jerk. God knows he's a jerk. You don't have to tell God he's a jerk. <laughs> Instead, go over here, turn around. God says, we're in covenantal authority with him. You can act in my name, pronounce in my name. So now you're back with God backing you up and say, I declare my husband to stop being a jerk. I declare him to be a man of God, my wife to be a woman of God. I pray over my children. I call them home, the prodigals back to the faith of their father and their mother. I speak health and healing and wholeness. Lord, I thank you, you desire to prosper me and good things for me. You speak the word of the will or the way. What you do is you get your spirit soaking with the word of God, link your spirit your voice, uh, your lips to the to the Spirit that's soaked with the Word of God and speak the Word of God in the situation. That's covenantal. You're declaring the Word, the will, and the way of God by His authority because the covenant is made good. Now, where did Jesus say this? In Matthew 16, 16. He says, look, hey, you got, got keys on you? Any keys? Let me borrow your keys for just a second. What do you drive? Camera. Okay, Camry, Toyota Camry. What year is it? Oh, 2019. I like this. Okay. I feel good about this. Okay. I've got I've got the keys to kind of who can can he drive it or can I drive it? I've got the keys. So I'm the only one that can drive it right now. I've got the keys. And Jesus says, "You know what? Now that you understand this whole covenant thing," he said to Peter. Peter said, "Who do you who do you guys think I am?" Peter said, "We know who you are. You're him. You're Mashiach. You're you're the Messiah. You're you're him. You're God." And and Jesus says, "Peter, you didn't learn that in seminary." There were no books that taught you that. My father showed you that. Now the word's out. Now you guys get it. I'm giving you the keys to the kingdom. I'm going to give them to you. Here's the keys. Now who can drive? Him. He says, what you declare, covenantal authority, what you declare to be right, lawful, appropriate, according to the word, will, and way of God, I'm going to back you up in that. What you declare to be not right, illegal, inappropriate, I'm going to back you up in that. That's covenantal authority. That'll make all the difference in the world in your prayer life. Thank you for letting me share about the covenant. So good to be with you. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our locations, team, and what we do here at Awakened Church, go to awakenedchurch.com.